Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for September is sponsored by Igloo. Igloo is your digital workplace. That means you can give updates, have discussions, and share files with your team all in one place. Sign up and get started at igloosoftware.com slash 5x5. Welcome to Episode 9 of Systematic. I'm joined this week by Gabe Weatherhead, a.k.a. Mac Drifter, and he's a Chem Informatics Lead Systems Engineer. And I don't know if he'll explain what that means or not, but he also blogs at MacDrifter.com and is known for a wide array of experiments and scripting on the Mac. I'd call him a kindred spirit in Mac-based mad science. How you doing, Gabe? I'm doing good, Brad. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chem Informatics is just a, a really fancy name for somebody who works with computers and uh, chemistry and science. So nothing, well, nothing special. That's, um, yeah, the chemistry is, I passed chemistry because I had a professor who, who was completely insane. Like, uh, he would teach us how to waft chemicals, you know, so you didn't breathe them right. indirectly, yeah. but he never would do that. He would just stick his nose in the thing. That's he right. Had no hair it was completely, completely crazy. And if I took a test up and asked him about a question, he would just solve it for me on the page. Yeah. And then he would forget that he had just done that. <laughs> And I would just keep, for every question, just go up there, and he would literally take the test for me, and then he would grade it with marks on his own solutions. <laughs> How'd he do? So, uh, he did pretty good, pretty good most of the time. But, uh, but yeah, I didn't actually learn anything. So chemistry is beyond me. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm sad to hear that you didn't learn anything, but you described most, most chemists I know. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there was, I, I have a book somewhere that's... Um, it's a really old chemistry uh, lab manual, and it tells you about uh, what chemi- what different chemicals should taste like because that that was actually one of the qualitative tests that they did on as a regular in, basis. As in, put them on your tongue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. My yeah. I I my grandfather was a chief chemist for a very large chemical company, mm-hmm. um, and he. He never, ever, ever talked about chemistry at all. Like, I don't remember him ever mentioning anything, like, about moles or chemicals or smells mm-hmm. or tastes or anything. Which So, it's just weird. My dad was a, a chief engineer for a large company. And me, I am no good at engineering or chemistry. <laughs> well, well, I think what you do is engineering, so... In just, a sense. No one's granted you that title, I guess. I guess. I think of it more get, as get a painting. business card and put it on there and no one will no one will doubt it. <laughs> Chief engineer chemist by inheritance. There you go. Okay. So one of the things that you do is you keep a a blog at MacDrifter.com where you kind of log your can we call them exploits in scripting? Yeah, sure. How yeah, exploits, adventures. Yeah, and mishaps. <laughs> yeah, well, but you and me both. But I think uh, both of us kind of treat our blogs as online logs uh, of our, you know, of what we work on, what we do, what we figure out. Mm-hmm. How do you do? You write your blog for your readers, or is it primarily a record for yourself? Ah. Uh... Different parts are for me and different parts are for people visiting, I think. Um, when I write something that's like a, uh, a technical solution or exploration, I'm, I write with two voices. One is to remind myself later um, of how I did something or why I did it. 
And then the other is uh, typically because I've done a bunch of research and have found it hard to find the solution I was looking for and thought, you know, pay it forward, put this out there and hopefully it helps somebody else. And if enough people do that, like you, you know, it becomes a, a really nice resource to, to go s- solve problems without having re- to reinvent the wheel. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, the, uh, the whole online brain versus, uh, versus an instruction manual for, for uh, the Internet. Were there blogs when you were getting started in, in what you do now? Were there blogs that were uh, beneficial in the same way? Oh, certainly Dr. Drang. I think, um, I think he's a, he was a good, good person to model myself after or model, modeled my approach to the blog. I really like how he details. In fact, he still does a, a far better job than I do in detailing how he came to a solution and why, why he came to that end point. Um, I tend to meander too much, I think, in, in my explanations. Um, and then, of course, your your site's definitely one. And and now, I mean, really, there's a. It seems like there's just an explosion of sites that are like that. Even even sites that don't focus on technical solutions are starting to do a really good job. I'm sure you saw it just even this past week, like um, Federico with yeah. TG over Mac Stories is starting to do that kind of stuff. Michael Schechter is starting to do that kind of stuff. It's just really nice. Uh, oh, um, oh, uh, what am I thinking of here? Um. Veritrope. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean that's like a, a classic. That's that his site's been around for for ages, and Justin just has done a really good job curating AppleScript in general. Yep, I've learned that a lot from a him. Gold mine. Yeah, yeah. I've learned that I do a really crummy job writing AppleScript. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a whiz, and uh, I've collaborated collaborated with him on a couple of projects, and I really uh, I like what he does, and I like the way he blogs it. Yeah, uh, Federico is finally. Uh, really uh, surfacing his nerd side lately, and I've loved it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've been working with him on a couple scripts uh, that aren't aren't uh, published yet, but I'm sure will be. And he's doing a great job. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that it's becoming easier to find sites like that. Um, and I don't know what what all their motivations are, but I totally appreciate that they didn't just keep it to themselves. Well, see, here's, here's how I see it is when I first started coding there, there wasn't a web yet, but there was gopher and, and BBSs and all these people that would do exactly this and mailing lists eventually. Um, and just people that would openly share their solutions, whether it was an answer to a question or just after finishing a quest of their own, Mm-hmm. And I I wouldn't know anything because I, I don't do really well with reading manuals and books and things, mm-hmm. but I do, I do an excellent job of interacting with people. I shouldn't say I do an excellent job. I get excellent results from interacting right. with people on these topics. And if it weren't for those early like Usenet and, and BBS posts, I, Honestly, I don't think I ever would have gotten into computers the way I did. And that's why that's my motivation for sharing when I solve a problem. Yeah. Have you ever Googled a problem and gotten your own site as a result and having have forgotten the answer? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's, that's it's it's an embarrassment and a reward at the same time. Yeah, it's like, well, wow, it I did validates that. Oh. <laughs> it validates why we do what we do. 
because yeah. we're even we're even helping ourselves so we know that the problem of not being able to find an answer exists yeah and i say this often i hope people don't think it's just hyperbole but um i search my site like crazy i i, I recently moved the search to uh spider hate hate having to pronounce that it's a <laughs> it's a php app really sitting on top of a little um database that uh it's a custom search engine really for a single domain and i love it and it, i the mo- the whole motivation there was i searched my site so often i was not happy with the results that were being returned by search engines right. e- either for ranking you know cuz i know what i'm looking for i i want to see that as the top result and and they just weren't returning that as the top result uh, you know the things i wanted as the top result so uh, again it's the whole i i use it for myself a, a lot do you uh you, you use a static blog now, and I'm jumping ahead topic-wise, yeah. but let's do that. Um, you, you have a static blog, and so I assume you have local markdown files for all of your posts? I do, yeah. Including historical ones, or did you start fresh? Um, historical one, what I did is I extracted um, all the WordPress data into uh, a massive XML, and then I parsed that into quote markdown files but really most of the body of the file is in html oh and that what the markdown portion is is actually the multi-markdown headers that i added to the post um with the like the date timestamp and the title and all that good stuff so that pelican could reprocess it i just did not have good luck converting the historic wordpress data into pure multi-markdown particularly footnotes i use a lot of footnotes yeah and they just constantly kept getting mangled. Huh. Yeah, so well, I, I guess, like, for me, I think I've mentioned that I have a Jekyll blog running locally, and mm-hmm. I keep it up to date. Every time I post to WordPress, I, I import that into my Jekyll blog with the intention of someday making the online swap. <laughs> but I have always blogged in Markdown yeah. and stored it in my database in WordPress in Markdown. Yeah, so for I, I, me, I'm not that smart. <laughs> For me, it's really easy to pull all of that into separate markdown files. And the reason I asked the question is because the absolute best search I found is still grep and and ack and spot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's how I find most of my answers. Well, in NV Alt and notational velocity, um, mm-hmm. I can find I most of my posts get indexed there eventually, if not start there. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I I search my blog and my notes pretty much i would say probably every 30 minutes minimum like (laughs) or maximum interval yeah i constantly am referring and that's why i keep so many notes is because i don't remember this stuff Uh, i'm i'm pretty much the same way i i I search the site though i don't so what i what i do now um that i'm writing in in a static blog is I keep everything in the same direct, all my drafts in the same directory, which NVAlt points to, and all my all my other Dropbox-based text editors point to. And then when the post is done, um, I have a Hazel script that essentially moves it to an archive folder, also in Dropbox. And uh, that way, I'm not cluttering my. I already have just a ridiculous number of notes in NVAlt, uh, so I don't, I don't really want to clutter it with posts that have already been completed. Sure. So I, I in, in that case, I I will jump to the web to do the search there. That's not and a bad plus, idea. Plus I, plus, I get all the pretty formatting that I have for like my code highlighting and all that good stuff. That's what preview windows are for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, 
Yeah, and and if I I won't call out search engines by name, I guess, but um, the one you were using uh, started it, it, the the major problem I think you ran into was actually uh, that it was caching results for too long, right? Yeah, it was caching. I had been moved off of WordPress for at least a month, and it was still showing results from the old site. And I contacted them. You know, I'm generating a sitemap every mm-hmm. time I create right. a post. And it automatically goes to Google. But um, I, mean, I don't mind mentioning search engines by name because I also give them positive press. Sure. <laughs> um, DuckDuckGo doesn't have a facility to send a sitemap to. So I contacted them a couple times through email saying, like, there, there's this problem. It's caching the old data. I, is there some way I can request that the cache be purged and re-indexed? And it just never worked out. And I just got too frustrated because it was about half of the results were bogus links. Like it just it wasn't right. The link still worked, but it was duplicate results. Sure. And I, I just wasn't happy with that. So I just said, fine, forget it. I'm still generating the sitemap, so they can still keep crawling it. Somebody else can use DuckDuckGo, but uh, my search box on my website actually uses Spider. That's uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to try searching your site a little, see how that works out. I may consider doing something similar. Once I finally make my switch to a static blog, yeah, yeah. So you're you're gonna go uh, Jekyll, I assume, since you've already that's, got that deployed. Well, I like Ruby, uh, so that's it's more natural for me than Pelican, which is Python based. Um, mm-hmm. Although I'm really working on improving my Python skills because I see it being, I don't, I guess I don't, I, I'm not well versed enough to know all the pros and cons of the two languages, but. Um, Ruby's what I'm comfortable with, but Python has a strong appeal for me. So I'm working to translate my knowledge between both. Um, but anyway, yeah, Jekyll uh, is the most extensible one that I found. And if I'm going to make a static blog, I want it to be something I can just fiddle the hell out of. Yeah, that's so. why I chose Pelican. So I'm the mirror image of you in that, <laughs> in that regard. So I chose Python because I, I use it at work. Python's used a lot in the sciences. Right. Uh, it's particularly chemistry. So I had had I had previous needs to learn it. I really wanted to le- start learning Ruby. Um, it just never happened. What I like about both of those languages is that the communities are really friendly in, in both. I yeah. think uh, one thing I found, and I, I did Java for a little while too. I, I just hated going to Java communities because they were just. <laughs> Uh, what's the word I'm looking for that is family friendly? Um, they were as, just kind of kind of jerks, as yeah. ugly as the the GUI. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, and I I just didn't enjoy that. But once I started like uh, getting involved with Python and Ruby, everybody was just so friendly and eager to teach you and and show you the ins and outs and not really criticize your code, just give you pointers. Yeah, um, and and I really like that. And in Ruby, I th- I think um, was it Matt's? Is that the guy behind you know the uh, the forefather of Ruby, that was one of his guiding principles, right? Of he just wanted a really friendly language that was fun to use. And pretty, yeah. 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 So I like that. And uh, I just haven't had time to really dig in and learn Ruby or really the opportunity. It would it would be, I would be coming up with a project just to, look, just to learn it. So Python uses, I'm kind of a little, this is scattered, but Python uses indentation, like very uh-huh. strict indentation. Do you think yeah. that's a plus of the language? Uh, Does it create more it readable? Yeah. It, it, is, it is very readable, but it's so easy to make a mistake. And I know 
there's going to be plenty of people out there. Uh, let me say, um, send your email to Brett. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a tabs guy, not a spaces guy, partly because of Python, because if you miss one space, it's like, you know, you'll never figure it out yeah. in, in a huge script. So I just stick with tabs because it's easier for me to make sure that I get all my, all my tabs in. And I know you can map a tab to four spaces and blah, blah, blah. But and I you can tabs. use syntax highlighting to show uh-huh. uh, gremlins, yeah. as it were. And I know. I know all this. I know. Yeah, you know, no, I'm, was- I'm with you. I use, I use tabs and spaces depending on the language. I have uh, in, in TextMate and Sublime, I have uh, syntax-specific uh, settings. Mm-hmm. That that switch between spaces. If I'm working in CSS or JavaScript, it's tabs, mm-hmm. uh, save on characters. And if I'm in Ruby, it's spaces, uh, two spaces instead of a tab. And Python tabs and yeah. I'm with I you. don't know how you do that, man. That would drive me insane. Just switching between that kind of formatting. I just can't keep all that in my head at the same time. Oh, you don't do it at the same time. You switch modes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I would say so. I've I've lost track of the conversation per se. You know, Michael Schechter was amazing at always bringing my random tangents back around. Uh-huh. Um, I won't expect the same of you because I know I can't do it. Well, but, we were we were talking about the external brain, so if that helps. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> my mind just moves on. So so I'm gonna take a break for our first sponsor. Okay. And then come back with uh, Act Two. Uh, our first sponsor today is Gazelle, and it's the fast and simple way to sell your used iPhones, MacBooks, and other smartphones. Are you planning on getting the new iPhone 5? Before you get the new one, make sure you sell your used phone to Gazelle for cash, cash that you can use to upgrade. Gazelle is really simple and fast to use. Go to gazelle.com, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com. Tell Gazelle the condition of your device, and they'll even buy broken iPhones for cash. You'll get a risk-free offer for your gadgets, and they lock it in for 30 days. Once you get your new phone, ship your old one to Gazelle, and they'll even pay the shipping costs, and you'll get paid fast by check or PayPal. It's best to act fast because your phone may lose value every day you wait. You get paid in cash within a few days of your item being received. Gazelle's offers are good for 30 days, giving you time to get your new phone before you send in your current phone. Gazelle has paid almost $50 million to over 300,000 customers, and they make it really easy with free shipping and no listing hassles. Wondering what your iPhone is worth? Take a minute and go to gazelle.com to find out. And I think, Gabe, you said you've used Gazelle. Yeah, I have. I um, I sold both a Mac Pro and an old iPhone through them, and in both, both cases, they ended up giving me more than the original quote once they received the item. Which was pretty awesome. It was that a nice, is pretty nice awesome. bonus. And it was it was dead simple. You just go on their website, tell them what you want to sell. They they give you some information for packing it up. You send it to them. Like a few days later, you get a uh, you print out the the shipping label and everything. The um, you get an email that more or less says they inspected it and here's what they're paying you. And you you say yes and you're you're done. It was super easy. And at that time, I don't know if they still do it. I did. Uh, I got my payment as an Amazon credit. They give a little bit more back if you got an Amazon credit. Hmm. So it was, it was super convenient. Just dropped it right into my Amazon Prime account, which I probably spent pretty, pretty soon after that. I have a pile of that kind of stuff that is, it's called my eBay pile. And yeah. at this point, I've never sold anything on eBay. Never even <laughs> tried. 
Yep. But these are things that I have told my wife I will eBay. So if she hears this episode and finds out about Gazelle, I'm probably going to have to uh, uh, send some electronics in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. So I sold the Mac Pro to buy a new iMac, and that's how I made the deal with myself to actually get rid of the old old equipment. Nice. So, and, and it almost entirely paid for my iMac. Wow. Yeah. It was, nice. uh, Mac Pros have really good resale value, and and again, Gazelle does a does a really good job giving you the actual value. Wow, that was a good promo for Gazelle. <laughs> it was better than the copy. Uh, but okay, so moving on. Um, I have for a whole week now uh, been doing listener questions. And, uh, and people send in just things that they want to hear about. And one this week came from Paul Foster. And he wanted to know about... Uh, he says his goal is to write in Markdown for notes, posts, articles etc. And then uh, primarily publish in WordPress. But the, the question is more about the workflow behind writing plain text and markdown and getting it into blogs and uh, possibly emails, PDFs and things. So I thought maybe we could uh, run over that really quickly because we sure, both do yeah. that. Uh, I love markdown. So, you know, I'm a markdown guy and I, I, I do write everything in markdown. Shoot. Um, let's, let's give a quick description for people that are just hearing about Markdown now, um, how would you define, how would you explain Markdown to a layman in, uh, in, in not too many words? Um, to a layman, I would probably say if you, I, I should, only- I should clarify layman. Uh, I, what I mean is newbie. Yeah. Not it's it's a markup, a it's a markup language, but really it's, it's a way to use plain text to communicate additional meaning with as little formatting as possible. So just like if you were to put a header in plain text by just making uh, text bigger or bold or something like that, in Markdown you just put hash symbols in front of it. it it's really just a super simple, readable um, way to format, to, to format text. And then as a bit of history, John Gruber created it. Uh, a lot of it harkens back to Usenet, uh, kind of formatting uh, as far as italics and bold and everything go. And he created it primarily for blogging and for web output. And uh, it's come a long way. There are a lot of variants that can now easily convert into everything from OPML to import into other places to PDFs. And um, and then you got your HTML and you can output Word documents. And it's it's a good foundation for multi-format output. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's true, um, but I'll be honest. I use Markdown in like writing emails to people who have no idea what Markdown is sure. because it still looks right to them. Right, like it's you, still perfectly readable. It, yeah, it's still like I, I don't use footnotes that way, or you know, uh, I actually in, do end links or anything. But like bold and italics, it, it makes perfect sense. Like three asterisks, this is really important. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, I'll use I'll use a form of markdown or multi-markdown footnotes um, in emails because if you use numbers, it becomes it's visually obvious that this references a number, and then they see the number yeah. and the link underneath the paragraph or underneath the whole email, yeah. and then I don't have to stick parenthetical links into everything in the email, and I can still keep it in plain text. Yep, it works well. Yeah, um, I think. Go ahead. I I just I think. 
a lot of people have the perspective that multi-markdown is an entry point to generate other types of documents like PDFs, um, HTML. And that's true, but it's, it's, it's also equally valuable to people who have no need to do anything else in it other than to, just to write. Agreed. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a way to write simply and in notes that you can read again later and that will translate to any platform now or in the future yeah. and, and still have the option to send a Word document to somebody should, you know, should that be necessary. Right. So where does your markdown start? What do you edit in? Oh, this guy I know who makes, uh, what is it, NVAlt, right? Um, I write a lot in NVAlt. I've heard of this. Yeah, it's it's pretty nice. Um, now, in all seriousness, I, I keep NVAlt open on my Mac constantly. In fact, I have like a, a cron job that checks every couple minutes, and if it's not open, reopens it. Does it crash <laughs> on you? No. Okay. It's, it's, it's uh, to thwart myself because sometimes I'll close it not meaning to really quit it. Gotcha. It's just, that's the way it goes. Um, Thought you were going to file an on-air bug report for me. No, no. How about feature enhancements? Um, So that's on my Mac, and almost everything will start there. If If it's something small I'm writing, it'll just stay there. If it's something larger, the idea will start there, and then maybe I'll move on to a mo- more robust editor like Sublime Text or BB Edit or something like that, where I can have a lot more customization and control over the writing environment. Um, and then on iOS, I use uh, Writeroom and Nebulous Notes combination. Of okay. Those two things. Nebulous Notes I love for writing large documents because I can have a bunch of custom macros to control how the cursor moves around or doing multi-markdown or, or whatnot. But Writeroom is just super fast, really yes. quick in and out. Um, does Writeroom have sync support, Dropbox? does. Okay. Fastest, fastest, I don't know how he does it. It's fastest Dropbox sync I've, sync I've ever seen. It's like split second, and, it's, and, it's, uh, and there's no manual sync process. It just does it instantly. Nice. It also has uh, uh, content searching yeah. in the notes, which is pretty rare on, on iOS. Yeah, Elements does a pretty good job with it. Yeah. And Elements has a pretty fast Dropbox sync, but I'm going to have to take another look at Writeroom cuz I haven't picked a favorite like this is the end of my search iOS editor yet. And we all thank you for that otherwise you wouldn't have generated that massive list of uh, <laughs> iOS text editors. Yeah. Well, it's uh it's a it's a it's a maze, really. Everything has pluses, everything has minuses, cons and pros <laughs> and Yep. Nothing Nothing has struck me as perfect yet. Uh, I mean, I know which ones look the best to me and which ones I prefer editing in, mm-hmm. editing in. But as far as the really important stuff like Dropbox Sync and, uh, you know, ubiquitous access to my notes, easy searchability, and a really great editor with, say, customizable keyboard keys and everything... Yeah, there are some that cover all of that, but they do it in a way that makes them into kind of beasts of apps. Yeah, and I don't know. I haven't found the perfect one yet. Byword comes pretty close for me. Elements is pretty awesome. Textastic, which I mentioned a week or two ago, spectacular. But yep. nothing perfect yet. Yeah, there's nothing that covers every base. And let me ask you a personal question, and you can uh, you can decide if you want to answer or not. How many notes do you have in, in VL? Let's see. 
about 700. Okay. So the, my number one criteria has been since I had some major issues with the size of my note library, that it has to be really robust sync and fast. And, and what kills a lot of apps is when you get around, I don't know, close to a thousand, I guess they just start to really choke. They yeah. either need multiple sync sessions and there's no indication of the second session or they start to drop notes or notes, uh, heaven forbid, get new timestamps. <laughs> Jeez, that's a, that's a real killer Yeah, because uh, it changes the sort by dates. Um, right, so that's always is... the first one. And that's why I use Write Room the most, I think, because it, it just it seems to handle – as big of a collection as you can put in without any problem. That sounds awesome. I'm going to have to take another look. I I mean, I've loved Write Room on the Mac for a long time. The only yeah. thing that's ever drawn me away from it is needs for multi-markdown, uh, mm. desires for previews and things. But I know of some apps that can preview no matter what editor you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that's becoming less of an issue for me. So I'll take a, a, a new, a renewed look at at right room on both platforms. Okay. Good luck. Hey, I hope thanks. it works for you. <laughs> so my workflow is, I, I'd call it pretty identical. We are very mirror images of each other, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything starts for me in Envy Alt, uh, usually as outlines or quick, uh, you know, I'll start writing there. Um, mm-hmm. Then I use, I pop it into an external editor, whatever I have mapped to command E at the moment. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then take it often into Byword for more prose kind of stuff where I'm just freeform writing. Yeah. If it's got structure, I head into, you know, uh, Sublime or Multi-Markdown Composer, uh, both of which have easy navigation of headlines and everything. And mm-hmm. um, thanks to some contributions from... You and others, uh, Sublime Text has, uh, you can collapse headers and everything now. It yeah. has uh, code folding for Markdown. And the the bundle that I've been working on, the Sublime Text package, has got, uh, you added some footnote features. And uh, there have been a few contributions that have just really quadrupled the uh, the usefulness of that package. I'll it's link cool. That, I, yeah. it, it's been it's been nice seeing how quickly Sublime Text has been adopted for multi markdown writing because that was my major motivation for using it. Yeah, I use it to write some Python in once in a while and stuff like that, but it gets used pr- primarily to write multi markdown. So having all those uh, features has been really nice, and you were my motivation to get off my tuft and actually start writing some plugins. Hey. It's like, man, the guy taught himself Python and wrote a plugin in less time than it took me to actually just get over there and write, write something. So, well, hey, um, you know what's been really impressive to me is the overall community surrounding Sublime reminds me a lot of the the early and remaining uh, still existing TextMate community. Yeah, it's I agree. got that same excitement and constant innovation going on. Yeah. And, and, and and love for it too. Right. I think that's it's, and both it's enjoyable. are so go ahead. It's enjoyable. I I think uh and TextMate TextMate too, I think TextMate got a little bit of uh bitterness here lately. Um 
before it went, I think, open source. But you know, people got a little bitter over the delays and updates. But it it really had like it had a group of users that just absolutely loved it and did nothing but spoke you know positive things about it. And that's how Sublime Text is right now. Yeah. Well, and to me, the the major difference is uh, active updates. And while TextMate has had a lot of updates, it hasn't had the major public releases. Mm-hmm. And it never stopped working. Like, text, TextMate is as useful to me today as it was three years ago. And, like, it's just the community wanted to see more of the promised TextMate 2, for example. Yeah. And it was impatience more than it was, this doesn't work anymore. And and Sublime has the excitement because it's actively updating in, in more visible ways. I think it, I think it's that, and also um, you want to have hope. You want to you want to still have hope that even when you encounter a bug, like oh, it just crashed. Yeah, I think for for a little while it was like, well, I guess TextMate will always crash that same way. Yeah. You know, every every time I do that same thing. Whereas a new editor that's getting updates, you can say, well, I don't mind that it crashed. It'll probably get fixed eventually. You know, it'll, yeah. Well, there'll in, be an update coming. And Sublime has done an excellent job with fixing problems before I even have time to report them. <laughs> Yeah. I've been impressed with that. Yeah. Okay. So after writing and, you know, you start in whatever note-taking app and then move it into another app, your um your posts for your blog uh with Pelican, how does that how do you move to that? Well, I I uh kind of extended something I had made for WordPress actually. I had set up a uh, Hazel. So I have a Mac that runs all day. I mean, I have a I have a server Mac that's just always constantly on and Dropbox is installed. So I, I have a Hazel rule that looks at my notes folder. And originally it looked for um open meta tag. And I, I moved off of open open meta and ended up writing a rule that looked for a multi markdown header. Like that, in the metadata? Uh, yeah, metadata that there was uh the the header the um Meta item was process is the name, and the tag that gets added is um, at sign post. And once that gets added, Hazel sees that and goes through a a, a couple of machinations. It um, renames the file with a .md extension, moves it to my, um, uh, then uploads it through FTP, SFTP to uh, to my Pelican site. Then it um, moves the file to my archive folder in that, in that stepwise process. And Pelican has to, like most static blogs, regenerate. Yeah, it regenerates the whole thing. So on, Pelican, on the Pelican side, still haven't got around to making it so that it recognizes a modification and then reprocesses. I, I just set up a, um, a cron job that every five minutes it regenerates the site. Oh, that seems Even excessive. if there's something new. Um, huh. Yeah, it's... It, it's so low overhead on the server. It's, okay. it's not a problem. Um, same thing with the um, sitemap generator. Every, I don't know, every couple hours it generates a new sitemap. Um, but it's it's really some. I mean, from my end, now that I have that set up, I don't have to do hardly anything. I, I post from my iPad or iPhone a lot. Just, you know, open the text editor, write, and then as soon as you put that, you know, the uh, app post on that on the process line it's done and eventually it disappears from the iOS editor editor and that means it got processed. How do you handle images when doing that? 
Oh, that's a bear on iOS. <laughs> I've read some um, of your posts regarding that. Yeah. Yeah, there's still still nothing great. My biggest problem is I like to size images to a very specific size, a mm-hmm. max of like, you know, 600 pixels. Um, there's a, an, what is it, an FTP app? What is it, FTP to go or something like that? That's a good one. I don't know yeah. if it does imagery sizing. It does. Okay. It does. Uh, there's, yeah, FTP on the go. And there's also, um, there's another FTP app I deleted because it, it just wasn't getting updated and had some bugs. But it does allow you to resize an image and manipulate the size. So the the problem is I don't actually do that a lot um, when I'm on if I'm on iOS exclusively. What I tend to do if, if I know there's going to be a lot of images, I'll put them into Dropbox sure. during the day. And uh, I <laughs> I have another another Hazel rule that if I drop an image into a a folder called FTP, what it does is it Hazel sitting on my Mac will f- see that file upload it to the right um, content structure in Pelican. So, you know, year, month sure. content structure. And then drop a link into my Scratch file in uh, in NVAlt or Dropbox, same thing, and at the, at the bottom of my link list. So I can actually generate the right links automatically and have them uploaded to my FTP server automatically just by putting things in Dropbox. What I can't do is make sure that the size is is set properly because I played around with automatically doing that and I wasn't happy happy with the results. So Okay. I've had good luck with SIPs, like the built in image yeah. command think, line tool, but the yeah, optimization. Mm-hmm. The optimization gets a little sticky if you're changing size drastically. Yeah. Um, so, okay, for people who don't know, Hazel is a utility on the Mac that can process files based on a set of rules. And it's most commonly used to detect new files in a folder and do something with them. Uh, just yeah. about anything you want to do with them. Mm-hmm. Have you found that Hazel is consistent and fast for you? Uh, I found that uh, different updates have had different impacts on performance and generally the developer is really responsive to that, helping figuring out what it is and then providing a patch really quickly. Um, but yeah, uh, the, I think what causes the most problems for me are that I have like NVAlt still looking at the files and occasionally I think that causes Hazel to think the file's busy. Oh, that makes so sense. If you, if you look in the console log for Hazel, you'll see like it recognizes the file, but then it says file busy, skipping for now, and then it'll come back later and try it again and again and again. Yeah, I haven't seen that message. I guess most of the issues that I've had have come down to the spotlight index. Oh, and that's m- true. If your spotlight in- index is corrupted in any way, it messes up Hazel. Yeah, and and Hazel's very spotlight dependent, and mm-hmm. I it's it's prompted me to keep my spotlight index in better condition. Mm-hmm. with regular rebuilds and whatnot, uh, which on a Mac, it helps everything. If if yeah. you ever have problems with uh, apps not being able to find files or things taking too long, or when you go to search and finder, it takes forever to start, rebuild your Spotlight Index. It it can drastically improve performance. Absolutely. Uh, and I, th- I think people forget... I think a lot of people use like launch bar and never think about spotlight, but it's still using spotlight too. Yeah. Across (laughs) your system. Everything is using spotlight. That's a core piece of the, the Mac operating system. Absolutely. So there's the tip. How often do you have to rebuild? 
Uh, I rebuild maybe every couple months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, It's not, yeah, it takes, on my Mac Pro, it takes hours to do. So it's not Mm -hmm. something I do daily or anything. Yeah. I I repair permissions pretty, probably weekly. Uh, Not manually. I have scripts that just repair permissions on my main drive. Um, I'm booting off an SSD now, though, which has, uh, nothing has ever improved performance as much as that has. Oh, that's uh, I totally I'm on board there. I'm, I have an SSD on my iMac for the boot, and I upgraded a MacBook years ago with an SSD, and I just could not believe it. It was like getting an entirely new computer. It is. I, every problem, everything that was annoying me about speed and performance is gone now, and I I only have my uh, boot partition. Well, I guess my apps all run off the SSD too. Uh, but my entire user folder, most of it is just on a Velociraptor drive right now. Yeah. Um, but the performance is outstanding. Um, I had one other question for you. Uh, when when Hazel's looking for uh, multi markdown metadata, mm-hmm. how are you are you manually grepping that out, or are you using the multi markdown binary? No. Um, hey, what did what did I do here? Oh, uh, Hazel has a way you can actually use a script to identify a matched file. So, yeah, most people use it to identify like newly modified files, but Hazel actually can can trigger off of almost anything, like right. a file's uh, you know color changing or the name of the file or, or virtually anything. Open and the latest, tags, yeah, yeah, the latest uh, update allowed you to put your own script in there to determine whether it's a match. And so, what I what I have it. I have a little Python script r- running from the shell that essentially uses the the Markdown uh, module for Python to look for the metadata. And nice. once it find if it finds the metadata, it just sends the the pass signal out the other end, and that tells Hazel, "Yep, this file matches. Go ahead." I want a copy of that. I want to see how it works. <laughs> okay, yeah. I haven't played with that uh, feature in Hazel at all. It's super powerful. It's really cool. It, it sounds like I got to warn you though. It can be. Time-consuming if you have a lot of files with that you're processing um, on the on order the, on the order of like you know fraction of a minute, but you know Hazel right. and you mean is on like the instantaneous, yeah, yeah okay. right, because it is having to process every single file and, sure. and run it through that script. Um, yeah, ultimately, if it's running in the background and and you're not waiting for it, I don't think uh, yeah, I don't think that that processing time is going to impact most people's workflow. So I'm in I'm in the uh, camp of I try not to think about sandboxing too much. I know Apple has a direction they're going, and I'm hoping I will just adapt to that as as I've done with everything that they've they've changed. But if they ever change it so that I couldn't use Hazel, that would be a real uh, hit. There for are me. a few changes that Apple could potentially make that yep. would literally drive me away from yeah. the platform, and I hope that never happens. It's uh, OS 10 is by far my favorite operating system to work with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if they if they close off a few of those, you know, really useful the things that actually make OS 10 really powerful for me, right? Take that away, and yeah, I might. You mean Unix? To, yeah, <laughs> might have to go back to Linux. And, yeah. Uh, um. So anyway, getting back to uh, Mr. Foster's question, uh, I the last part that I wanted to cover was how to get Markdown to WordPress, which You've moved away from, I'm moving away from, but uh-huh. I do have a good workflow for that. And uh, Dr. Drang has some Python scripts that can do it. I use Ruby scripts, uh, the TextMate bundle. I can take a Markdown file, 
with metadata headers, which are just, you know, a key colon and then a value. And I can send those straight to my blog, publish them or save them as drafts. Uh, I generally do that from the command line or from TextMate, but there's probably a dozen other ways to do it. And then on WordPress, the, the plugin that I currently recommend, even though it's not what I use right now, is uh, Markdown on Save. And what it okay. does is store the Markdown version of your post at, as an extra field in the database and then renders the HTML into the main WP post field. Mm -hmm. So you can have a full, like, as if you wrote it in HTML and the database doesn't have to render it on the front end every time. But then if you do something like switch to Jekyll or Pelican, you can pull out of that field instead of the main field and still have all of your original markdown version and not have to convert from HTML. Yeah. Um, So that actually, that workflow, it's pretty future proof uh, as long as you can read a SQL database and, and pull out a field, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And so. so it's rendering the HTML at the time that it's processing the markdown. Is that what, also what you're displaying on the to the to the um, visitor? The Is rendered that pre-rendered rend- HTML. Yeah. Oh wow, that must really reduce the load on your uh, server too. It would if I used it. Yeah. I mean, what I do is I I store everything as Markdown and I use the PHP Markdown Extra and I render it on the fly, but I cache heavily. Okay. So it's really only rendering it once about every, I think, every minute and a half maybe. It renders a page when there's a hit on it. Um, So it's I haven't noticed a major performance change there, but... Actually never... So I didn't move off of WordPress because... I had a problem with with the way WordPress performed. I never had had it come down. There was a coincidental problem that came up right before I actually had intended to move, um, where my WordPress instance got hacked. Uh-huh. Um, but I had already been moving to Pelican at that point, and it was just it was literally like two weeks before I had actually planned to do it. Um, WordPress is good. I just got to a point where. I really wanted to understand more of the system that I was using. And I started to learn PHP and WordPress. And I was just like, oh man, this is a mountain to learn for this one thing. Right. I, I will only ever use it for this blog. <laughs> uh, I would much rather force myself to learn Python better. Yeah. And that so that's why I chose Pelican and a static blog. Similar, similar to my motivations as well. Uh, WordPress works and it it's very extensible. And I happen to know PHP pretty well. Mm. Just don't like PHP a lot. And (laughs) I do like Ruby and Jekyll provides uh, the kind of fiddling that I find very recreational. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Anyhow. So that's (laughs) that's the Markdown workflow. So I I just just backing up for a second. And you had mentioned Dr. Drang had posts on this, too. I want to give a definitely a props to the um, latest update to the um, WordPress um, for Python, it's uh, actually called. Uh, oh, okay, you know we'll put it in the show notes. Oh, it's the Python WordPress XML RPC module. Very cool. Um, great, great name. Um, <laughs> it's the latest update's actually really excellent. Uh, they added pretty much every WordPress feature into the um, module, and you can put po- you can do pretty much any type of posting you would need to do. You can do from Python now. And that's before I moved to Pelican. That's how I was doing it. I had a Python script 
that got that ran and recognize you know when Hazel ran and matched a file, it would just push it through this Python script that would essentially upload it to my WordPress site. Nice. All right, XML RPC is is a lot of fun uh, yeah. in general, Python or non. Mm-hmm. Um, I've hacked that a lot. It's <laughs> been a lot of fun, but cool. Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes. Okay, and. I will take a quick break for sponsor number two, which is Shutterstock.com. Uh, Shutterstock brings you over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. If you're looking for images for your website, blog, print ad, trade show swag, or even your apps, Shutterstock is the way to go with over 10,000 new images added each day. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection. You can find images from around the world to perfectly fit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages, whatever fits your needs. If you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, you can do that too. Download any image at any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. They make it easy to curate and share pictures via light boxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own lightbox gallery as you search. They even have an iPad app for on-the-go image acquisition. If you want an image for print or to use on swag for trade shows, you can get an enhanced license. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips that can come in handy as well. Need help or have questions? You get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions, and they have 24-hour support during the week. Go to Shutterstock.com and sign up for free. No credit card needed, and use the offer code DANSENTME9 to save 30% on any package or image you decide to purchase. Head over to Shutterstock.com today and find the images you've been searching for. And that brings us to the last portion of the show, which would be our top three picks for the week. Cool. You I love ready? this part. Oh, yeah. me too. It's it's a nerdy, nerdy fun fest of That's gushing right. about apps, which is what <laughs> I do best. So do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. Uh, we can even alternate. How about that? Let's share I, that the, seems share to be spotlight. seems to be the best way to do it. Okay. But yeah, top pick, or uh, I'm top, sorry, first pick. First pick um, is is an app that I use probably every day on my Mac. Um, that I don't think gets a lot of press, which is Code Runner. I use that to write a ton of scripts. It's um, just this little. It's available in the App Store. It's a little scripting environment, really, that handles every language I've needed to throw at it. Um, for code formatting and running. So I can, in one environment, work on AppleScript and then s- switch a tab, work on Python and run, you know, run them and test them and debug them. I just love it. It's a really nice app. It, the developer did a really good job on it and it's pretty cheap. Do you have a price? Oh, do I have I can't a price? remember. I just, uh, I just got a promo code for that for a uh, for the person we answered the question for last week about getting started to code, the developer donated a copy of Code Runner uh, because it is an amazing environment for just learning how to use a language as well as for editing. It's got all your editing features and everything in it, uh, syntax highlighting, uh, auto indentation, etc. They even updated it for Retina recently. Awesome. It's it's ten bucks. That's, it's it's the same guy who makes patterns, right? Nikolai yeah. Krill. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's a nice app. Really well done. Patterns is a nice app as well. I love mm. that. Okay, um, I I definitely 
I can't remember if we've ever talked about Code Runner before. It feels like we have in my memory, and not as a pick, but uh, it's yeah, it's it deserves the, two mentions. It really does. Great app, <laughs> great app. Um, my first pick is. Uh, I, w- I was going through apps that I use all the time now, and uh, CoBook, the address book, the social address book, uh, I realized that it's completely replaced address book for me. Um, it gives you a menu bar pop-up where you can quickly find people based on their their Twitter handle, Facebook profile, or your address book entries, LinkedIn profiles, everything, and it can go through and it can attach all of that stuff to existing contacts and sync it uh, across all your machines. And I I don't even, I, I guess what I love about it is I don't even realize I'm using it. How is it syncing it? Is it just putting it directly into the native address book database? Yeah, it's, it's syncing over iCloud. I believe it can also sync Google Contacts. Okay. Um, I would have to look because I'm not actively using Google Contacts these days. Yeah, me neither. But, um, but that's cool. I, I, I like that because uh, there's, Tons of times I'll, I'll go to contact somebody and I'm like, I could have sworn I knew what their Twitter handle was and now, now I can't recall. Yeah. But but they're in my address book. Or you know someone only by their Twitter handle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it does, it syncs over Google Contacts or iCloud. Um, iCloud just by default address book sync. That's uh, cool. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. All right. So pick number two for you. I pick number two is IO, for iOS or iPad, really, um, Pythonista. I had a huge write-up on this because I just fell in love with it. It's a um, Python environment on the iPad, and there is, there's already a Python app for the iPad, but it, it doesn't even come close to Pythonista. Pythonista adds a couple modules that are iOS-specific, um, like it can interact with the clipboard. It can do a lot of graphics stuff. In fact, one of their big selling points is something I don't even use it for, which is to generate interactive, really, apps. Like, generate apps that are built on Python that have user interfaces and all that kind of stuff that run in the Pythonista environment. Um, kind of like Code... What is it? Codia? Remember Con- I don't know. Codia? It's, um, it's an app where you can actually do iOS development in the app and then run it like it's the app hmm. that you just wrote. It's it's pretty pretty impressive stuff, you know. Even though the iPad's not for creating um, content, uh, <laughs> according so, to some, yeah, yeah, that's right. Sarcasm there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I like about it is uh, I can I can write a little Python script that does something with the clipboard contents and just jump into Pythonista and run it, and then it'll put the results back on my clipboard. So like, I have a script that essentially I jump into Pythonista, run it, and it asks me what I want to do with the text. Uh, like, do I want to convert it to title case, lowercase, uppercase, capital case, strip space, you know, uh, in URL encode? And I just choose the, the option um, from the command line and run it, and then pop back over to wherever I wanted to be, and the converted text is on my clipboard. Handy. It's pretty neat. Plus, just just playing around with Python, I use it for that. If I'm just sitting there twiddling on the couch, I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could do this and, and pop into Python Eastern and write a little bit, of, little bit of Python. And it has all the manuals built in, all the help built in for Python too, which I find really helpful because I have to visit the, the Python sources a lot. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm going to be checking this out as I learn yeah. Python. It sounds extremely useful yeah what is it it's like five bucks it's oh, wow. kind of kind of mind-blowing there's only five bucks is there and a it, 
Do you know if there's an equivalent for Ruby? I don't know. There um, is there is one for PHP called PHP Kodiak that yes. has manuals and it can run your stuff in line and it's pretty handy if you have a need. I, I don't know if anyone has a desire to work with PHP, <laughs> but if there's a need, it's there. Yeah. I, that's probably not true. I'm sure there are plenty of people who swear by PHP, but I find it to be a massive a language personally yeah I'm, I'm not i'm not a huge fan but uh you know it's probably my ignorance yeah same here fan yeah. same here uh years of working with it and i still don't understand <laughs> some of the oh okay yeah not, <laughs> that's a not different a, story <laughs> not a huge fan i mean i can make just about anything i want happen with it uh, and i like some of the frameworks that are available that fix a lot of the problems with php but that's a whole nother topic yeah 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 um, yeah, no, I really, I really like Pythonista and I really, it's, it's super polished. Really, it, it's, compa- especially compared to some other, um, language type apps for iOS that I've, I've worked with where you just kind of get a command line prompt and green text on a black background. This is really, really polished with code syntax highlighting and popovers for definitions and a custom in a custom keyboard row and all kinds of really nice features. Very cool. So anyways. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to decide what I'm going to, I have a, a couple listed here for my second pick. I think I, I'm going to go with Byword. Um, in the hopes that I haven't, uh, I lose track so quickly. I, and I forgot to check my notes to see if I've done this before, but again, worth two mentions if I have, um, Byword is, uh, an excellent text editor for writing Markdown. Uh, it can do rich text and it actually, I believe started off, uh, purely as a rich text app. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it was, it was originally part of the kind of minimalist writing app explosion back yeah. when like, um, writer and, and write room started the whole thing. Yeah. Right. If you remember back that far. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then there was this explosion and Byword at first for me kind of got lost in that, um, that flurry of, of minimalist writing apps, but it has since distinguished itself as uh, a really elegant writing platform, um, with, uh, keyboard shortcuts for just about everything that I want to do. Uh, and no, no toolbar, no real interface to speak of. It's, you just write. So it's minimalist in that regard, but it's powerful as far as, uh, kind of under the hood features, definitely something worth checking out and definitely something worth reading through all the menus. Uh, so that you have some idea what all it can do. Um, I'm going to tie in my third one with that. So uh, let me stop you for a second. Are yeah. you do you use it mostly on the Mac or do you also use it on iOS? Both. Um, uh, to be honest, I don't do a lot of writing on my iPad uh, because well, a a I don't leave the house enough to really need to, um, and b because if I'm writing on my iPad, I usually have it hooked up to a uh, my Logitech keyboard case. Oh, okay. And if I'm going to do that, I might as well just pull out my Air and just write on that. Okay. which is what I generally end up doing, but I do love Byword on iOS. It's a so, it's a probably the most elegant of all the writing apps. 
So I'm going to ask you uh, as a favorite of Michael Schechter then. So does that mean there's no hope for NV Alt on on uh, iPad? It does not. There's I, there's, <laughs> I'm sorry, there's no you saying. Can, you can ignore that question. No, I mean when it comes to that stuff, it's it, for me. Like I don't have a plan. You know, I just I do what strikes my fancy at the time, and if yeah. people like it, they like it. If they don't, I make it for me. So yeah. it anything's possible. Anything. Um. We have a, let's just say there's uh, some some team-up projects going on right now that I think people are going to love, but the end result is something that I consider to be an extremely useful application. Um, but that's all I'll say for now. That's a, that's a horrible teaser. I'm sorry. But <laughs> but there there are some exciting things coming from great minds in the industry and me. We need, we need mysteries in our life. That's good. Right on. Um, so, so I'm going to go ahead and jump to my number three, if that's cool with you. Yeah, yeah. Because it ties in and multi-markdown composer from Fletcher Penny, uh, who actually wrote multi-markdown. Right. Uh, and then he built this editor called multi-markdown composer. And, um, and I'm, I'm using the Mac version. There is, uh, uh, I, I don't remember if it's officially available yet. Is it on iOS? Because I use it on iOS, but I don't know if my copy oh. is. I'm. I would think I would have it if it was. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's not. been in in beta testing for so long. I couldn't remember if it had been released. I hope I don't get in trouble for mentioning it. But <laughs> um, but Oops. it's on the Mac. It it's an environment that provides you with a, a HUD panel that shows you all of your reference links. It provides you with a sidebar that has all your headlines, and you can jump around your document quickly. It does amazing things with formatting, like uh, if you type your metadata header and then hit tab, it'll auto-indent everything so it lines up. Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with mark- multi-markdown table formatting, yeah, but this makes it automatic. You write your yeah. header row and you hit enter and it fills in your alignment row and then you start typing and when you hit tab, it inserts the next cell and jumps to it. Yep, it's the only way to write multi-markdown tables. Absolutely, Yeah. <laughs> If if you're gonna use the official syntax, it's this is the way to do it. Yeah, no, it's a gorgeous app too. I really I, I really like Multi Markdown Composer. In fact, it's funny that you say it because uh, earlier today I quote accidentally opened it when I meant to open. Uh, I think Sublime Text. And I was like, oh man, this thing! I forgot how gorgeous this <laughs> is and and how how good it makes it. So I sat there and wrote in Multi Markdown Composer for a little while, and just rediscovering how awesome it is. Yeah, and you can theme it. Uh, it uses basic uh, syntax highlighter themes, and you can create your own uh, color schemes for it and everything, which mm-hmm. for me, uh, it's more fiddling that I really enjoy doing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... I, I'm, I'm on board with you there. Awesome. The uh, So my third app is one I'm staring at right now that I've been staring at through basically the whole show, which is iThoughts HD. Um, it's where I usually start composing anything that I expect to be complex. Um, It's a mind mapping app for the iPad that just seems to, every time I think it's about as awesome as it could get, a new um, update comes out that makes it more awesome. And like the the latest update adds doodling, so you can actually like draw on your um, mind maps and add annotation, you know, manual annotations. Um, It's really pretty the way it uses um, uh, 
the its color theming mm-hmm. just makes really gorgeous looking mind maps too. But it's it's got some clever tricks built in for adding additional children and siblings to a mind map that let you just really um really blow through uh an outline. And what? I use this a lot for for planning really complex things. Like sure. like today I planned you know, what apps I want to talk about, things that I might want to bring up and talk to you about, and like, you know, the Envy Alt on iOS. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. And it's just a really nice visual way to approach things. I I live in mind maps. Yeah. And and iThoughts is the only one that's ever, I should say iThoughts and the MindMeister app, but especially iThoughts are the yep. only ones that really flow for me. And the whole point for me of mind mapping is just rapid right. uh, release of ideas and mm-hmm. just get it all out there and not have to think about organization and ordering and just kind of radiant thinking. Um, yep. And iThoughts does a great job with that. Plus export to HTML and OPML. I'm sorry, Markdown mm-hmm. and OPML. Mm-hmm. I love. How does it handle these doodles with the export? I, I haven't done an export yet. Uh, my guess is so... If I recall, you can put images in a mind map before you could paste images in. And what it did is it made those additional attachments, um, which is really all it can do. I don't think it provided any special formatting for the OPML, but I could be wrong there. Um, I don't, I don't usually put images in, but I am really excited about the doodling because I, I do a lot of doodling. And right now (laughs) the way I do it is I jump into another app and, and do the doodling and then, uh, usually upload that or take an, take a picture of that. Um, so I'm, I like the idea of being able to add my own doodles. I'm not a big fan of like just taking clip art and dropping it into a mind map because it usually doesn't mean anything to me. Right. Um, yeah. And it's like 10 bucks. What I really like about their business model too, they have, you know, a lot of apps, a lot of developers struggle with how to continue to get revenue for an app. Uh, you know, once they've kind of saturated right. that market, and in-app purchase, I think, has been good and bad in, in, in some ways. So iThoughts has started doing started a little while ago doing in-app purchase for something they call early access. And I love this model, which is they're making really cool features like this doodle feature. That's an extra four bucks if you want these extra features. But it's early access, meaning if you don't want to pay the extra four, four bucks, you can just wait and eventually make its way into the regular app. That's cool. And I think that's a really clever way to do it because you get the the geeks that are totally happy to pay for that kind of stuff. Right. And the people who don't want to pay for it, who would re- go in and write two star reviews because they don't pay <laughs> more money. They'll just, you know, they'll just wait and they'll get it eventually. Those people so, may still write two star reviews, but it definitely <laughs> well, it, that's it true. has less blowback than <laughs> adding something star- <laughs> everyone wants, but no one wants to pay for it. Yeah. They'll write two star reviews about how they thought it was a podcast player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't get, don't get me started. I, <laughs> I don't get like on my one app in the app store marked. Uh, I, I don't get many negative reviews. I'd say I get 300 five star reviews to every three or below review. Yeah. But those few that do come in tend to drive me insane uh, because usually their problem is something I clearly described in the very first line. The part that shows up before you hit the more button of the description, uh-huh. I'll have the they'll yeah. have the answer to their problem right there and they'll still <laughs> two stars yep. one star i think i have three total one star reviews but i shouldn't complain it's not it's not a perfect system 
But I'll be honest, I, I use the star rating to decide sometimes if I'm going to buy an app, especially if it's something I know nothing about. It's, sure. it's the only yardstick you get. Yeah. No, really. I agree. I agree. Um, I do, t- do read them and take them with a grain of salt. But if there's you know, 50, 50 reviews and they, their average is two stars, then that's a pretty good, good indicator for me that there's something wrong. But anyways, yeah. uh, back yeah. to an app that doesn't have anything wrong. I, I really like iThoughts and I use it constantly for everything. I use it for work. I use it for, for home, all kinds of projects. And here's something else cool about it is with the OPML export. You can send your mind map straight to Multi-Markdown Composer, which will then format it as an outline with Multi-Markdown headers. So you can plan out and even start writing an entire blog post or paper Mm -hmm. in iThoughts and then finish it in Multi-Markdown Composer. So see now I really want multi-markdown composer on iOS and you've just, oh, it's cool too. Just ruined everything for me. It does that perfectly. <laughs> um, I, Fletcher's going to be mad. Yeah. I just keep it, going on. Just keep going no, on. Brad. You I'm done. Better. <laughs> Quiet. Um, I definitely look forward to that though. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's three each, right? We did it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Um, all right, then I am going to mention our third sponsor, which is Hover.com, Simplified Domain Management. You've probably registered you've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in when all you want is a simple .com, .net, maybe a CO or TV domain. Hover makes it easy. Just enter the domain name you're interested in into their search box, and Hover will tell you if it's available. If not, it'll come up with some suggestions. You can also just type in a few keywords and Hover will figure out some available domains using those terms for you, like, say, oh, we'll go with Skynet run by unicorns again. Um, it's it's really clever. Uh, they have real human beings available for support, and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you've got any problems, just pick up the phone and call. They have a no-hold policy, and someone just answers the phone. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. And even though I'm not Dan, if you use the code DANSENTME or hover or visit hover.com slash DANSENTME, you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from hover.com. And despite a few hiccups in there, um, that is our third sponsor. And I think uh, uh, Gabe, you and I both use Hover and love them. Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I love them for two, two reasons. I mean, other than that, they don't shoot elephants, but um, I really, I really like them because they they don't send me spam. Yeah, like for anything other than, I think I just received an email from them a little while ago that was like, "You have expirations in ninety days." Yeah, like, and that's hardly that's it. spam. It's like that's yeah, part of the business relationship. That's what I expect them to do. Um, their interface is really clean. They make it dead simple to to buy domains, which is killing me <laughs> yeah you, you're the third guest in a row to say i have a problem with domain names <laughs> yeah they, they make it they make it really easy i just like their service and i've actually used their customer service before trying to figure out my own problems i was it was when i um was playing around with switching hosts and stuff like that mm-hmm. um for my blog and i was i was having an issue and i thought it might be on the hover end it, it wasn't but they were super helpful. They gave me every bit of information I needed. It, it wasn't like, well, uh, it's not our problem. It was definitely like, did you check with this on your host? And and uh, they helped me solve it. So I, mean, I love it when companies have customer support that goes beyond supporting their own products instead of just yeah. saying, that's not our issue. Yeah, right. It makes it's, life so much easier. 
yeah, I work in IT, and that tends to be the default response from every every vendor. Not our problem. Yep. Pro- Not our proof problem. that it's our problem. Did you reboot? <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, Gabe can be found at MacDrifter.com and as MacDrifter on Twitter. Is there anywhere else you want to mention? Oh, let's see. I guess it's not too early. When's the show coming out? Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. So it won't be it won't be by then. But I think uh, on the fifteenth, I have a podcast coming out. Oh yeah. With, on the seventy decibels called Generational. Oh, awesome! I didn't and, know that. Uh, David Sparks is on that one. Oh wow! Yeah, some of my so. favorite people. <laughs> yeah, that's very yeah. cool. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, and it's, uh, it's a blast get to learn a bunch of new stuff and talk to really awesome people. So yeah, as soon as you have a link for that, I'll I'll add it to the show notes, even if it's post publication. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate Definitely. it. Definitely. All right, and I'm Brett Terpstra. I'm TT Scoff, T T S C O F F on Twitter. And uh, you can find me at brettterpster.com, which has three T's in the middle of it. It looks awful. It sounds awful. But it's uh, it's not hard, really, if you know my whole name. <laughs> hey, Terpstra. That, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyhow, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, feel free to go rate this on iTunes so that Dan knows that uh, people do like it. Um, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Brett. Thank you.